0: Today is Monday, August 24th. 2015 and this is episode 129 of the defensive security podcast my name is jerry bell and joining me tonight is mr andrew callett good evening jerry how are you sir i'm doing very well how are you i am good i uh seems like we were just doing this it just it does this is this is
1: weird yeah but it's all good yeah just
0: uh and
1: oh it's been a while since we've done like an official real news podcast, and a lot of things have happened
0: that is very true so we we have a lot
1: of catching up to do it's
0: true uh so just uh to start things off the a reminder the thoughts and opinions we express on this show are ours and do not represent those of our employers so um next uh next order of business is uh I am going to be at the uh high tech crime investigation association conference coming up actually it's uh, the week after next can't believe that's it's here already so nice. if you're going i hope to see you there I may have may or may not have some
1: surprises i'm sorry i can't join you i will be in michigan for a family event however we will both be at derbycon right that's true and probably even together you know we may actually hang out outside the show
0: that that's true <laughs> If, uh, I mean, if I'm cool enough for you, I don't know if I've crossed that level yet.
1: Uh, well, you know, the bar is being raised as we meet more and more cool listeners. True. That's true. <laughs> um, you're coming in from, where are you going to be coming from?
0: from I'll be uh, flying in from New York.
1: All right. So we'll, we'll figure out our our appearance schedule. I know. We'll have to do some sort of sort of listener meetup. Yeah. Because yeah. that was good times last year.
0: Oh, it was great times. I I really, really loved uh meeting and, and talking with, with the listeners. That was just awesome. Maybe more of them this this time I'm thinking. So uh we'll see. All right, so uh let's 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 do this and get into some stories. Feel feel like uh, we're kinda rusty here. So
1: Yeah, alright, let's do it. First,
0: good. first up comes from the Tripwire State of Security blog. I know by now this is a kind of an old old story, but I thought it was worth talking about. So, Oracle, uh, the the CISO of Oracle, launched uh, what can what I can only describe as a personally uh, impactful bomb. Um, so, so Marianne Davidson is the CISO of Oracle, and she uh, she she posted this really long blog post, and the, the, the title of it uh, was, uh, let, let's see, it was No just, uh, no You Really Can't, sorry. And uh, it, it was all about railing on customers, Oracle customers, who violate the end-user license agreement by trying to reverse-engineer Oracle products to find vulnerabilities, and obviously, lots of that is done by proxy through, um, you know, third-party companies, assessment firms. Uh, but it went over like a lead balloon in the information security community. And in fact, Oracle later retracted the post and said that uh, it didn't reflect the values of Oracle. And which one would think puts you know, the CISO at a, in an interesting political position, but, you know, I I will, I will leave that alone. Um, But I will say that this is not a new position, right? This, every couple of years, this position comes up and it flares up and is unpopular. And then it goes away for a while and it comes back up. Now um, it's kind of interesting because this tripwire blog, I I think is the reason I, I referenced it versus some of the others is that it was a little more balanced, right? It, uh, I think their their position is that she has some legitimate concerns, uh, although the net message was was really horribly, badly received. Uh, probably the most significant of which is the reason the the overall reason that she brought this up, apparently, is that they're getting lots of crappy. Vulnerability submissions, and that's tying up her team, right? And so, so they're. Let
1: me get out my violin.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. Um, uh, so, so anyway, there she's using the EULA, you know, the the intellectual property protection provisions in in the EULA, which prevent reverse engineering of the code, in an effort to protect against, uh, you know, this this kind of. Analysis and you know she does go on to say in her blog post, which you'll have to you'll have to find copies of it um, because it's it's long gone by now. But she did say that um, you know certainly if somebody came forward with an actual bug, they would fix it. However, don't expect to be credited for it, which you can imagine probably didn't go real well go over real well with the community who prides itself on uh, on you know being credited with fi- finding bugs so um we haven't actually see- that that
1: actually by the way was not even close to my biggest problem with her post was well, that she wouldn't give credit
0: well go ahead what's your, what was your biggest problem
1: the entire tone and attitude behind it, it
0: was very condescending right
1: it was it, it came across as a as a parent who was scolding their child once again for doing something incorrectly right i mean get your bleep button ready because seriously you I mean, first of all, if they were so excellent at security and they have the moral authority to preach security to anyone, explain Java to me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, uh, so moral outrage aside, sorry, I've got some more thoughts here, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow, but uh, do you want me to hold my... No, have at it. Okay. You're on a roll. I personally had a visceral reaction to this. But then I took a step back and I looked at it. Okay, let's say I'm an Oracle customer. I may or may not be. I'm not going to confirm nor order to die. And I've got the skill set in my environment to audit their code myself, whether I'm reverse engineering, whether I'm fuzzing, whether I'm doing some dynamic code analysis, whatever it may be, and I find problems. So here is in essence what Oracle is saying. You don't know what you're doing. You're an amateur. First of all, you don't know that. I may have incredibly talented folks on my team. I may have the highest top-end pen testers in the world hired to audit something, and they may find something. You don't know. And to assume that you've got the right people on your staff is incorrect and arrogant. And I can assure this because more often than not, manufacturers have this mindset of, huh, it wasn't designed to do that. Why would you do that? (laughs) Well, guess what? I've seen this over and over and over again, especially the academic community. They have these inherent uh, assumptions about the way software and and networking and all this stuff functions. And and they come up with these ideas that do not survive in the real world because the real world is a lot messier than their controlled lab environment. Back to my point. If I'm running their code and they're telling me, you cannot audit our code, does that mean they're going to assume all liability if anything happens to me? If my company gets hacked based on a problem with Oracle? Because they're basically saying, hands off, you can't do anything that comes, to, comes to, to under the hood looking at Oracle security. That's not your place. That's our place. Well, I'm sorry. If I'm running Oracle in my environment, I have a liability that comes with that. Yeah, I may not be able to patch your code, but if I know there's a problem, I might be able to wrap some other mitigating controls around it. I might be able to wrap, I don't know, web application firewall or or, or you know, something from Imperva that's doing uh, database activity monitoring. I may mean, watch for specific traffic that I know is going to be a problem. I can't just blindly trust Oracle to go off and do that. And and it, I want lots of people beating on the code I run. It's one of the reasons I prefer to deploy widely used gear, because the concept is there's a lot more people out there likely spending research, research time on it to find bugs. But when a vendor comes back to me and says... Piss off! You're not good enough to give us bug reports, and we don't want to hear from you. And you're wasting my people's time. I viscerally and logically may not want to run their gear in a secure environment.
0: That makes uh, it's, it's a logical argument. I can't
1: can't disagree with that. And for her to say, you know, oh, it, it's costing us time, then I don't want to do this. I'm sorry, you're in the software business. You're in a software business that has the highest number of, of, you know, information security vulnerabilities and attacks going on of any time in history. So put on a helmet and get in the game. If you don't like it, get out of the industry because this is not going to change and it's not going to go away. And your little rant like a spoiled child isn't going to make any differences. If anything, you're going to make it worse. You know,
0: what, 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 um, what struck me is <clears throat> that they ought to be focusing on, um, more productive ways of handling the problem. Like, you know, I've heard that actually paid bug bounties are a way to filter out the noise, right? Because you, you, you end up, um, you end up with, uh, number one, a formal program rather than people just emailing whoever, I can only imagine how, how their bug reports come in, um. And number two, you're going to get people who are reporting actual things. Now, it's going to cost you money. Uh, I, I, I get the feeling that they're just looking for a net drop in you know the overall cost associated with this, which is really not going to happen. They have a huge portfolio of products. Um, I, I One thing that, kind of like you said, that, that I really reacted badly to was the, that she had said in her article that uh, you know, Oracle is in the best place. Oracle's developers are in the best place to be performing these audits. However, uh, time and time again, we find especially things like Java, but also some other products that Oracle makes uh, are vulnerable to zero days. Well, you know, that was found by somebody else, right? That's And so every time a zero day in an Oracle product is found, that was one that did not get found by Oracle, period, end of story, let's, you know, let's, let's move on from there. And, and, you know, look at how many patches come out on an Oracle's, uh, I think they're quarterly, they're quarterly patch updates. I mean, there are usually hundreds.
1: It's uh you know, it's quite, it, it's, ex- it's expansive. You make a great point. And, and one thing you just said that triggered a thought in my brain is think about the internal politics of calling the baby ugly by having an internal team find bugs. Yeah. Do you think there might be some subtle pushback to not dig too deep in the code for problems?
0: I I would imagine that there are complex incentives at play that could yield less than optimal results for for customers.
1: Yeah. So they should be thanking the InfoSec community for doing these code audits, not railing against them. Yeah,
0: I I I really I really do think that they and others need to think fundamentally differently about this, you know, the space because kind of, uh, you know, someone, someone had the posted a really great picture. I I wish I would have bookmarked it, but, you know, basically it was the, uh, it was the scene from the wizard of Oz where Dorothy and, and her companions were in, you know, in the wizard's room. And, you know, you could see in the, in the corner, the curtain and, you know, it's just don't look behind the curtain. That's what they want you to do. Just don't look behind the curtain. And you know the the other thing that, that um the kind of the subtitle or the subtext of the of the article was, you know, at some point, dear customer, we may choose to start exercising our rights in the contract against you. And you know, I got I got to thinking about that. You know, if you get breached using an Oracle product, right? <laughs> That that means that someone in your system was improperly using the Oracle product. They were violating the EULA of software that you bought. And by virtue of them accessing it, you facilitated access to them. Technically, their exploitation of the product violated your EULA, your, your agreement to use the software, which is completely ridiculous. Totally. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer, but, you know... It just, it, if you play that out to the end, it's ridiculous. So, so what?
1: Are, what are they going to do? Start telling customers we're not going to renew you or yanking your license? That's going to go over well.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I can't, I don't I mean, think they would. I'd call their bluff on that. <laughs> I don't think they would.
1: What I'd love to see is somebody like an IBM or a Google or or some other huge company that might have a lot of Oracle licensing, publicly call them out and tell them to go f- themselves. Yeah. And bring it. What are you going to do? Your salespeople make, you know, hundred million dollars office a year. What are you gonna do? Let's go. Let's dance. Yeah. And and because
0: they're not. I mean, they they're not that. They're not gonna throw that money in the toilet.
1: No. There's no way. It's just such arrogance, and and oh, it's very frustrating, <laughs> especially from the company that owns Java. You know, I just. Yeah. If anything, they should be begging for forgiveness.
0: Oh, anyway, let's um, let's move on from that one. <laughs> it's horrible.
1: Sorry. It's so, okay. Oh, one last thing. If you want ahead. some fun, well, if you want some fun on this, go do a Twitter search for the hashtag #OracleFanfic. Oh, F A N F I C. I contributed a few myself, but they're hilarious posts ripping on Oracle. And I really want those to continue because they need to feel the pain. And I promise you right now, their crisis management and marketing folks are saying, just ignore it. It'll pass. Just ignore it. It'll pass. It's up to us to keep this alive.
0: Keep it going, people. All right. So, uh, so- if
1: anyone from Oracle would like to come on our show and defend themselves, we invite you. <laughs> oh, well, that'll be fun. We'll, we'll, We will not edit. We will let you talk. We will let you make your complete points. But we will also make our points. And that's right.
0: All right. So moving on. Our next next story comes from Ars Technica. And the title is My Browser Visited Weather.com. And all I got was this lousy malware. And uh, I, there, there's still a pervasive understanding, or misunderstanding, I should say, uh, that you have to click on links uh, on on these ads in order to get infected, and even by the way, uh, that that misunderstanding exists among information security people. Some that I have met, and so I just want to take a, a moment and reflect upon this, right? So, so we had a case here where weather.com, weather dot com, dot com, dot com. And um, and and later, some other sites were publishing malicious uh, advertisements. And the way, you know, basically, the way this works is, it's there's a there's an iframe injection. And uh, there's a link, by the way, in in, in this post that goes through some uh, goes over to Malwarebytes blog, and they actually go through a very detailed dissection of the attack. Uh, but basically. You, they're injecting, this ad, this ad is injecting code into your browser that is exploiting, in this case, Adobe Flash, which, by the way, was a patched, already patched problem in Flash, uh, which would in turn drop some malware on your system. All you had to do was visit the website. Don't need to click on anything. Just visit the website.
1: And by the way, considered safe websites. Yes. Well-known Probably let through your proxy, nothing scary. Websites.
0: Not not pornography, not wear sites, not BitTorrent sites. Weather.com, right? This is.
1: Amongst others. Amongst we're not others. just speaking of weather.com. Yeah,
0: and by the way, this was not weather.com's. They they were not involved in this. They're, they weren't hacked. They weren't, you know, it was that they subscribed to an ad network where. And the ad network wasn't hacked either, right? Right.
1: You could say the ad network needs to do a better job of filtering malicious ads. We can definitely
0: say that. Yeah. Uh, you know. However, it's um, so. So I think that the net point is in uh, another podcast, um, Patrick Gray's risky business. There was an awesome, absolutely awesome quote. He and the Grek were kind of bantering back and forth about this one, and uh, I don't. I forget which one of them said it, but they basically said, "Right now." Browsing the internet without an ad blocker is kind of like riding the internet bareback. <laughs> ah. so, um, which, which, by the way, is really unfortunate because I think, ultimately, this is going to kill, uh, uh, probably it's going it, to, it, at the very least, uh, materially harm the, advertise, the online advertising industry. And it's going to force some changes. I don't know in right. what direction.
1: I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I put some notes in here about that too. That I, I think there, there's websites out there that already guilt trip you about running uh, an ad blocker. Uh, I think um, Fark, for one. I'm trying to think of a few others. Red, Reddit. Reddit, you're right. Yep. Reddit does. Um, but I'm sorry. I I can't risk it. I and, Until this problem is solved and there's no longer an infection vector from advertising, I'm going to block them. And until I can be promised and it's borne out in experience that there's no more malicious ads coming, in other words, get rid of Flash, get rid of Java, get rid of everything other than static pictures, uh, I'm going to keep blocking them. And if that means websites that run on ads can no longer survive, frankly, so be it. I'm not asking them to you know survive without advertising revenue but at the same time I'm not going to take the risk if that means that we have to come up with a different model and that these free websites are going to go away I understand that that is the trade off and that is how capitalism works it's about creative destruction and ultimately though I think the vast majority of people are not going to run ad blockers I think this is a you know uh, a 5%ile thing but if it does hurt their business revenue they're going to have to adapt or something's going to radically change. But I don't expect them to run for free. I expect them to make money. Uh, you know, I'm not expecting them to, to serve up anything for me. But, yeah, you know, the other thing that I heard uh, just yesterday, I think Amazon has announced it will no longer accept Flash ads in its ad network.
0: Uh, which is a great move. You know, I, and, and I think that may, in fact, be, you know, the the... the a move in the direction that that helps that business that line of business survive so um anyway i there's there's not a not not a ton to say we've talked about these malvertising campaigns in the past there's nothing in really particularly novel about this except i'll I'll say that the ads are being tunneled over t l s now and and so in the past uh, it's been a little easier to you know to to see them with with some of your your border stuff uh so you would you know and my listeners will be happy to point out that uh you can in fact still you know decrypt at the border you just have to you know properly configure it but uh in, in any respect it's a little it, it takes a little uh more sophistication if you're going to try to look for it at the network la- layer so yeah um, moving on to another Ars Ars Technica story, uh, we have attackers actively exploit Windows bug that uses USB sticks to infect PCs. So, man, it's like AutoRun all over again. I, you know, it, and and so it it's interesting, right? Because once uh, once AutoRun went went away, a lot of the panic and you know whatnot around USB drives went away. And, you know, it's it became much less of a focus for things like, um, you know, security awareness training campaigns and whatnot, because it became much less of a threat. Uh, but, you know, this kind of, this is the same, by the way, same bug class that Stuxnet used, right? And and who knows, there's, there's quite potentially a lots more uh, like this. Point is, you know... This, by the way, was being actively exploited, right? So so they found evidence of active exploitation of this. It does require physical access or, or you know, somebody to physically install the USB drive in the computer. Uh, however, you know, you, you label a USB drive with an FBI logo and drop it in the parking lot, and whoever finds it's going to plug it into their computer, no questions asked. It, it just will happen. So...
1: So I, you know, my thought on this is some organizations block USB ports from having um, the ability to copy files on and off, right. right? For DLP purposes, I wonder if those controls limited this attack vector or not. I'd love to test that. I don't think
0: so. I think this is a Windows, a very low level Windows um, code. This is it's the it's the mount manager.
1: Yeah. So probably not.
0: Uh, no, I could be wrong, but I, I don't. You know, obviously, I haven't tested it, but I I suspect that it, you know, it's just bad news, right? So anyway, point is, still got to worry about USB drives. Still got to warn people against picking things up. Uh, you still got to warn people against plugging their computer into the stupid USB drives that people have put in walls. What the hell is with that? I, I don't. Have you seen this, by the way? I have. I okay. have. Right.
1: I, I think it's a wonderful social experiment.
0: I, whatever <laughs> what the hell is wrong with people
1: there, there's an outtake clip right there <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so uh so let's go to our next story um and th- this is uh also from ours and oh my goodness this is a a bucket of fail like i've not seen in a while so um lenovo who has had just a stellar reputation lately uh, yet again took the pooch and screwed it um that poor dog <laughs> poor doggy. so uh so what happened here is uh, Lenovo has this thing they called the Lenovo service engine, and for about five or six months, they were pumping out laptops that had a bios feature uh which which is called the Windows platform binary table this is a magical little thing that is intended to support anti-theft programs like CompuTrace, which many of us are familiar with CompuTrace, right? But not a lot of us understand under the hood how does that work. Well, the way it works is ACPI, you know, the later versions of BIOS and whatnot, uh, has this Windows Platform binary table concept where the BIOS manufacturers can effectively create you know a, a space in bios with a application with a basically a binary right and uh if if that binary exists when windows boots up windows is program hard coded at boot to pull down that binary and run it you know if the binary doesn't already exist it's it's hard coded to pull down that binary and run it and, now, and, that's
1: by design in Windows.
0: It's by design in Windows, this is yes. not like a you know not like a hack. That's that uh-huh. is the way it's supposed to work. And you could you can imagine you know if if uh, you know if your laptop's been stolen, you want that CompuTrace code to run so it beacons home and you can get your your computer back. That's, yeah, how, that's how it's supposed to. Plenty of
1: legitimate work. good purposes for this. That's
0: how it's supposed to work. However, Lenovo. Uh, to Use that against the terms of service. By the way, that Microsoft allows uh, the use of this Windows uh, platform binary table, and and they use it to install this wonderful piece of code, uh, and it was um, it's called One Key Optimizer, which uh, Ars Technica cla- you you know probably rightly calls crapware. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, it. it it reminds me of, uh, of like the, the, the CC cleaner. You know, it's, 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 it sounds kind of bad. However, apparently it had a vulnerability, right? It, it itself had a vulnerability. However, it's built into your BIOS. You can't right. upgrade it. And, and so uh, so. anyways, people called out Lenovo on this and they, they pushed out um, BIOS updates for the affected systems. And in order to make this thing go away, you actually have to reflash BIOS. Um, which is just absolutely amazing, and you know we've we've talked in the past about things like um, bad BIOS and you know and and others, but the you know when you when you think about the implications of the things that can be done at the BIOS level, it's pretty damn scary.
1: It is. It is. You know, two two thoughts I had on this is: Do you think their government contracts just took a bit of a hit? I would not be surprised. Uh, You know, if I am in charge of procurement for U.S. government, I would be telling Lenovo to pound sand. Uh, the other thing I like is that this was found by a user in the field, and that's yeah. the way it should be. Uh, we should not be just randomly trusting this stuff. You know, we should be examining this stuff, and I like that that's happening. I mean, I like the idea of all these people taking Windows 10 and sniffing the hell out of it to see what a phone's home with and what it does. And, you know, I love the concept of taking fresh gear and, and setting it up and watching what it does on the wire. I mean, that's how we find this crap. So kudos to them for finding it and finding it. You know, trust but verify is a, is a powerful phrase for these things.
0: Yeah. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, we have to recognize that underneath the covers, there's a whole other computer. at yeah. least At least one other computer running inside your computer that you often don't have visibility to or access to.
1: And back in the day, we weren't necessarily worried about this because the the code size was pretty small. But now all I need is a downloader. Right, because the assumption, and it's probably true ninety percent of the time, is this box is online, right? And all I need to do is get a downloader, yep. and then I can go to town. That's right. Uh, which is pretty damn scary.
0: Yeah, and that will persist across, um, you know, across reinstallations or, or or anything. The only thing that that it will not persist across is if you reinstall a different OS like Linux, you know, which right. Lots of people in you know in, in the wake of this thing said, Oh, well, you know, haha. Another, yeah, that, that's great. Vote. If I have
1: an enterprise with twenty thousand Windows boxes, what do you got for me now? <laughs> exactly, smart ass. And that's the problem. I, I mean, okay, I'm being snarky, but legitimately, when that is the reply of people who think they're an infosec, well, you should have been running Windows to begin with. They don't understand the needs of an enterprise, and 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 it's not helpful to say that. You know, at a personal level, sure, great, fine, but. When I've got twenty thousand people, come on, give me something else. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, you know, someday I'll, I'll, I'll uh, describe my experience with running. You know, I, I don't know. A lot of people probably don't know it, right? But uh, my, m- me and my part of the business where I work run Linux on our workstations, and it's, uh, you know, it's quite an experience.
1: So it's a viable plan, but that's not something you do overnight. You gotta have. A huge commitment, and my
0: my company um, is extraordinarily committed to this, and and they I, they probably pay a lot more than most companies would would be willing yeah. to 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 support this, and make it work. So, anyway, so, to be clear, just
1: so my point isn't misunderstood, I'm not saying you can't run Linux in the enterprise. I'm saying you can't just knee jerk into it.
0: Yeah, it's not a it, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not a. It's, this is not a decision to be taken lightly. That's a, you know, that's a five or ten year plan. Right. That's a. That's a long term strategy discussion, and and it might not be the the right strategy discussion, right? So, um, you know, the the, the more simple manner may just be used a different hardware vendor <laughs> that you trust. That's so, true. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to our last story for for the night. This one is awesome. I, this is just awesome so this comes from the university of michigan's social media blog and um now they were hacked a couple of weeks ago and uh you know, their facebook page i should say was hacked a couple of weeks ago and and defaced and you know all that uh, and and they they kind of wrote up a really nice decomposition of what happened and uh you know the, the the intent is for others to learn from what happened to them, which I think is just phenomenal kudos to them love it so I wanted to talk a little bit about their their experience and their lessons uh, so back on August twelfth of this year in the middle of the night uh, they they're a bunch of their different Facebook pages got defaced, and so U of M is a very prominent school. If you are not familiar with it, most people are. Uh, it's you know it's it's a huge, huge college in, in here in the U S. and uh, have lots of visitors. Anyway, they were they were defaced. Uh, the first obstacle they bumped up against is that they realized they didn't have a way to contact Facebook, right? So after they they started getting Lots of complaints about this, and they lost access to their account. They couldn't log in and you know and, and clean it up. And and so, you know, the, I like the way they, they put it. You know you would you would think that the uh, I think what the sixth largest e- educational institution in the nation may have a, a, a Facebook on speed dial, but we don't. And you know that's an interesting point. And I, I wonder how many organizations do. So, uh, you know, point number one for me or takeaway number one for me is if you have a large social, you know, if social media is part of your organization, it's part of your brand. You probably want to think through this. How would you contact Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whoever else you use? How would you contact them to take back your account if that were to happen? Uh, so anyway, they did, they, they leveraged some contacts they had and they ended up, uh, getting in touch with Facebook's London office because, again, it was in the middle of the night here. Um, a couple of hours later, Facebook helped them take back their account. Uh, by 10 a.m., they had kind of declared the all-clear. Not, I don't think they were completely done cleaning it up. And then two hours later, got hacked again.
1: <laughs> so, so, backing up, do we know... How the first hack happened, or how?
0: Yeah, and so okay. so in the in in the process of figuring out how they lost access the second time, they actually figured out what happened the first time. Um, so what what ended up being the cause here is that one one of their employees who has administrative access to these pages was fished, and it uh, you know, was was basically fished with a with a a pretty good. Uh, fish and they they include some samples in the link and took them to a page which looked like the Facebook login page where they were supposed to revalidate their login information. Of course, it was fake, and then the attackers were off to the races. Uh, so, what what happened? Obviously, the first time around was they used those credentials to get in, you know, change the pages, remove access to the normal administrators, and and you know and whatnot. Um, the second time. Around after cleaning up the account, they had stripped out all of the administrators, and then they started adding them back in. Well, when they added this one person back in whose account had been compromised, they then granted the attacker who had access to that account back into you know back into the uh, the privileged access of these Facebook pages, and you know went went at it again, and that is really interesting to me, and uh, and something I think we have to think about. Uh, this is this person's personal Facebook p- account, right? Right. That that person's personal Facebook account was delegated administrative privileges on this, you know, enterprise. You see, you know, obviously it's a university, right? But this large organization's Facebook page, and you know we we often fret about protecting our, you know, our internal accounts and things like that. But here's a, here's a situation where, you know, this is, this is the person's personal account and that personal account has administrative rights over our, you know, over our organizations sensitive, uh, sensitive applications. If you can consider Facebook to be that. Um, obviously they wrote a story, so they, well,
1: it certainly has some reputational impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: and some of the stuff that was being posted was highly sexual in nature, so there could potentially be some liability.
0: Yeah, and they actually do go through a, a bit of an analysis about how many followers they lost and gained, and things like that. And basically, they they lost a few, but not many, and they were they got lots of mentions, which I guess they, if you're in social media, you like mentions, I suppose. Um. But you know they're, they're one of their uh, really their core finding was that y- you've got to get away from single factor authentication, which you know again is no big surprise. But again, it 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 kind of hurts my mind to think about situations where we've got people's personal accounts being used in a in an organizational context, and how do you, you know, how do you uh, require a person. On their personal account to use two-factor authentication, and I'm not saying that you can't. I'm just saying that those there's some interesting implications here that we need to think about when we're setting up things like this and how how we're going to go delegate uh, permissions and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And and, I, and I, so by the way, I started thinking about like I got my I got I got an Apple Mac recently for for work. I know I just said Linux, right? But I recently got an Apple Mac, and I got to thinking. You know, is and I'm not going to answer the question here, right? But do I use my own Apple account or do I create one with my work ID, you know? And, and there's really no, there's not a great answer there, right? There's not, you you can't easily force me to use my, uh, uh, you know, my, my work account. So anyway, and what are the implications there, right? So as, as we become as a, a society more and more um, you know socially enabled and and distributed, these kinds of implications are going to be harder and harder, I think, to tack down and um we just have to you know keep keep an eye out for it,
1: yeah, and we go back to the same thing. you should war game these things out and yeah. and have a plan before this happens if you 're very reliant on social media don't just let your marketing folks own that. You probably should get involved with trying to figure out what are you going to do if something happens. Right. You know, one thing that we see a lot in in this particular case didn't come up, but um, third-party apps can often be granted access to post. And what sometimes the attackers will do is is once they get in, um, they'll start granting third-party apps permission. So even if you change the password, they can still post. And that's the kind of stuff that it's worth knowing about ahead of time and having a plan for.
0: Right, right. Yeah, they've... uh... They've created an OAuth binding. Yeah, that's it's a great point. So it's, it's a really good point, and I th- and I think it's it's doubly complex because, like you said, this is not part of your normal traditional IT infrastructure. It's yeah. just a Facebook yeah. page, right? It's not it's not something that your IT group has responsibility for,
1: and it may be you know outsourced.
0: Oh, that's a great point. I think um, the army wasn't it the army that got hacked. Their Facebook account got hacked, and it turned yep. out it was, uh, was a subcontractor they used to manage their, their social media presence. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. So, anyway, I thought it was a, a really interesting article, well worth the read, some interesting perspective and lessons learned there. Hopefully, you find it useful. And uh, with that, I think uh, we're at the end of the show.
1: Indeed. A good show. Thanks for all the good stories, Jerry. Hopefully uh, our fans or our listeners or our folks who may become fans or whomever enjoyed them and find use out of them. We appreciate your time spending with us, and hopefully this helped your day or commute or whatever it is you do while you listen to us go a little easier.
0: Absolutely. And uh, by the way, thanks again to our Patreon donors, and uh, I know that the uh, the presents that we have sent out are starting to arrive. I need to go through and do another wave, so we've had some more donors since I... Since I asked for uh, addresses, and I'll I'll be doing that. Uh, if you uh, if you like the show, give us some love on iTunes. That helps us, uh, you know, helps us creep above the Drupal show that ended years ago.
1: Um,
0: which you know,
1: iTunes ranking is beyond <laughs> human understanding.
0: I know it's a joke. I joke, but um, anyway, seriously, I, I, lots of people have left comments, and I I appreciate all of you who have done that. Uh, you can find links to all the stories we've talked about on our website, www.DefensiveSecurity.org. You can find the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Keller on Twitter at Lurg and me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And uh, with that, we will talk again next week. Thanks.
1: Have a great week, everybody. See you. Bye. Bye. Sorry, I had the mute thing on. I didn't realize it.